given by Christ. What is the, what is the secret of living that life? And the secret of living the abundant life is bearing fruit. By the end of the message, we ask the question, uh, what is the secret of bearing fruit? We're going to talk about that this morning. But uh, let's first read in, uh, in John chapter 15. We're going to read 1 uh, through 11. And then uh, we'll pray and ask God to, to bless the explanation of his word. And then, and then we'll examine this passage. Let's, let's read. The scriptures say, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And then verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, we're here, we're gathered, we desire to hear your word. We desire to hear you speak to us. And so we ask, as those who have gathered, that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our minds to receive, that you'd open our hearts to say yes, and that you would change our will, which so often resists what we hear from you. Father, we ask that you would fire us up. As the scriptures say, we want to be stirred up to love and to good deeds. We want to live out what you've called us to, not just believe that it would be, that it would be nice, or not just hope that these things are possible, but instead we want to see them take place in our lives, Father. And so we ask that you would teach us to follow you. Teach us to obey your commandments. Teach us to live by faith that we might be fruitful in the way that you have designed us. We pray this knowing that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so in our, in our previous lesson, we talked about the, uh, the idea that, that the secret to living the abundant life is fruit-bearing, that, that we're called as 
branches which are connected to the vine to produce much fruit. I mean, that is the test of whether or not a vine is good. I don't know if you've ever planted a garden in your backyard, you know, but generally when people plant a garden, they're not just planting something that's pretty to look at, right? You know, they would call that planting flowers, but when they plant a garden, they're planting for eating, right? And so if you plant a bunch of lettuce and a bunch of carrots and a bunch of potatoes, and there's never any fruit associated with it, if the, if the lettuce leaves never, you know, grow up so you can cut them and put them in a salad, well, then you judge that garden a failure, right? Now, many times we, we, like, we blame the soil and the sun, and I didn't water, you know, we resist maybe saying, I didn't water it enough, right? You know, we're like, because that, so we don't blame ourselves necessarily, you know, it's the conditions. Or sometimes people just flat out say, I'm a, I'm a bad gardener, I've got a, a brown thumb, not a green thumb. Um, but we judge based on the harvest that comes in, right? Whether or not the, 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 the planting was a success or failure. And that is what Jesus says. He that abides in me should bear much fruit. I remember a number of years ago, it was whether, I can't remember whether it was here in, in church um, after the service, uh, while I'm talking to people, Hank runs up to me and he hands me uh, a Dixie cup. This is probably the way it actually happened. He hands me this Dixie cup and it's got some dirt in it, right? And uh, I presume that at the bottom of the hole that's been drilled down in the middle, that there's a seed somewhere. What, what is this? I asked later on. Chula. Hi. Wow. Praise God. Hi. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I just looked over and I'm like, I know her. Um, I know most of you, but I, I expected to see most of you. Yeah. Um, sorry. Distraction there. Um, and so I asked Hank, what is this all about? Well, you know, if I water this and put it in the sun, it will grow, right? Okay. So we go home and we're doing our after church lunch thing and, you know, kids are coming, kids are going. And I hear water running in the bathroom. I go in there and I look and there at the bottom of the sink is a Dixie cup and like maybe two or three grains of soil. Right. And there's no seed. And the cup is just and I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, I'm watering it. okay you know and what are you gonna do now it's like well i put it in the sun and i watered it and it didn't grow okay uh it 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 vanishes there's there's a uh the 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 evidence of growth the evidence of, of fruit bearing should be obvious to us in the christian life right um we, we're told that we're to be connected to Jesus as branches are connected to a vine, that, that bearing fruit is our responsibility. And we talked a little bit about what those, uh, what those uh, fruits look like. What should we be expecting? Uh, there ought to be joy for those who are actively working in the lives of others and seeing growth in their lives, right? That should produce joy in us. We ought to see uh, we, we ought to feel gratitude or happiness when we're given an opportunity to use something that we're given to benefit others. Uh, I, I think I bombed the point that fruit is, uh, is, is, is giving, 
uh, coming from the idea, I just, I wasn't prepped, I forgot my point last week, that, um, that we're told to give our first, first fruits. We're told to, when, when we receive, we're told to set aside some of that for the help of others, to fuel the work of the church and to, to bless those who need. Uh, and so we're, we have this opportunity to share with the less fortunate, and that produces joy in us when we can use what God's given to us. We have assurance when we see the growth of, of character in our lives. We think, I'm being changed and transformed. And we feel peace when we practice prayer and we're routinely praising God and we are living in an attitude of thanksgiving. That's what the fruit looks like and produces in us. But how do we produce more? How do we grow in our ability to produce? Understanding that this isn't something that we can rush, right? Like you can't just flood the soil with water and expect that the plant is going to just emerge right then and there. It takes time. Jesus highlights a, a danger here, and that's that branches that don't bear fruit are in danger of being cut off from the vine. John 15, verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Uh, disciples that don't bear fruit, Jesus uses the image here of being cut off from Jesus by the Father. Now, this is a, an occasion for great worry for some that, that they think like, okay, at some future date, should I stop bearing fruit? Should I stop uh, growing or displaying Christian character? Jesus is going to cut me off and throw me away, which I think uh, maybe taking the analogy just a bit too far. Jesus describes the fact that those branches are taken away. Branches that bear, oh, thank you so much, my son. Branches that, that do bear fruit, he prunes that they may bear more fruit. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means that he takes those branches away later. And we'll talk a bit about pruning. But we need to understand that, that when, when we uh, are not producing what is consistent with growth, that God applies uh, disciplinary measures, that he goes to work to make sure that, that we produce more. Uh, the secret of living or the point of living the abundant life is bearing fruit. Let's talk more now about how it is that we actually do this. How do we, how do we function as a living branch and, and, and produce what God desires? The secret of, of, of bearing abundant fruit is found scattered all throughout these verses. In, in the 10 verses, Jesus uses... The, the, the key word directly 10 times and once in a, in a hidden fashion, okay? Listen to the way that, that, that Jesus lays out the secret here. He says in verse 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me, right? If you look at the verse, he then implies a second use of the word where he says, abide in me and I in you, right? But what he's saying is abide in me and I will abide in you. As a branch cannot bear the fruit by itself unless it 
abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This word abide is used over and over and over again because it is the secret of bearing, of producing much fruit. The, the secret of living the way that God desires us to and, 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 and producing the, the character that he requires and the actions that he expects is abiding in him. Plants don't bear fruit or grow because of pressure or struggle. They're patient. They seek resources. They live cyclical lives, right? Like the sun comes up and shines some, some sun on the earth and that warms the seed and the, the seed has uh, absorbed some water and it will crack open and it will produce a tiny green shoot. And that's it for the day, right? Takes a nap. Next day, more sun, grows a little bit more, grows a little bit more. Like, and then you, if, if, if you're familiar with driving through cornfields here, and you should if you live in this area, right? You know, you, you drive around a little bit and you see fields. And so often it's just dirt for a long time, right? And then they seed it, and then it's dirt, and then it's dirt again, and dirt again. And then there's a little bit of green, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after just looking at a little bit of green, all of a sudden you've got like two and a half foot corn stalks in there. And it's like... Did they just show up overnight? What happened there? No, you've been watching them grow. It just takes a while. But the plants just go with it, right? They don't get up and move around and fight each other for sunlight. And like, you know, like there's no tests of strength here. They, they dwell right there in the ground and they focus on what's important. They focus on, on dr- driving their roots deep down. Uh, when we moved into this building, um, sorry, this is gross. Uh, we we had a um, we had a, a crack in our septic tank right before we moved in, and uh, don't worry, we didn't pay for it. The previous tenant had it repaired, and we got I think it was an eighteen thousand dollar discount on our on our uh, on, on, on buying the building because uh, it was expensive to replace the thing. Anyway, there was a crack in the septic tank, and that means let's just say it this way: every time we ran the sink. Right, the water leaked out of the septic tank, and there was this probably joyous tree 
that lived in the courtyard that had, had rooted and grounded itself and had just spent the last 20, 30, 40 years just drinking as much water as it wanted. And it was huge. And there were roots everywhere. And we had people come out and look at taking down a tree and they were like, that's huge. Look at that thing, right? And what had the tree done? I mean, nobody looked at the tree and thought, this tree is doing more than other trees, right? This tree is, is really trying. No, it just sat and sunk its roots deep and drank, and it grew. Branches don't bear fruit by struggling. They bear fruit by abiding. Because as they dwell and, and live and rest in the vine, the vine supplies them with what they need. That's the way that plants grow. Uh, the change and the growth is incremental, right? Think about if you've ever tried to memorize passages of the Bible, right? If you try to memorize the whole Bible, you're not going to do a very good job, right? But if you focus and you spend a week memorizing a verse, you, you might get that down, right? And then somebody will say something and it will prompt the, the verse in your mind and you'll be like, oh yeah, I know this. And you can quote it back. And you can add passages to it. But to try to nail the whole thing all at once, impossible. How do we teach our kids, right? We send them to school or we teach them ourselves and we take years to teach them. We don't just throw complex math problems at them. You know, and, and expect them to just like spit back the answers, we understand that it takes time. And that we need to apply effort, but we also need to allow the, the brain time to rest and to absorb and to, to encounter new subjects. And we have to we have to see growth and development over time. In the Christian life, we experience growth and, and union with Christ in an immediate moment, but then also through the experience of, of time. Let me explain what I mean by this. In the Christian life, first, there is a, a moment of union. There's an event where we become one with him, where we become part of the vine. Right. This is this is the moment where we acknowledge our own sinfulness and independence. We acknowledge that we've broken God's commands. And so we've we've disobeyed. We've failed to obey. And we realize we need a savior. We need God to forgive us. And we discover that God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus took our sins upon himself after living a perfect life. And if we say, hey, I need that righteousness, and we put our faith and trust in him, that God counts us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we say, I need the Lord, I need his righteousness, God declares us just, he adopts us as his children, and we become one with him. Paul describes this union in the New Testament uh, as taking place in baptism, okay? Now, let me just say that this is first a spiritual event that is followed by a physical event, 
Okay? It's, it's first a spiritual thing. It's something that happens on the inside that no one but God sees. Maybe the angels see it. Maybe they have, like, spiritual vision beyond our own. You know, maybe they know. But we don't necessarily see when it happens. So what, what Paul says in Galatians 3, 7 is he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, right? That we have his relationship because we've become united with him in his death. Jesus came and was numbered with the transgressors, according to the prophecy, right? He, uh, he is, the, the book of Isaiah says that he's numbered with the transgressors. That means, in part, that when he goes into the waters of baptism as a perfect person, he identifies with sinners. He's baptized, right? And then we're baptized into his death. That's the, the physical act of, of baptism, but what it is, it is displaying is, is that our lives and his life are, are connected. Romans 6.3, Paul asks the question, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so the, the image is that, that Jesus, who is righteous and doesn't deserve punishment, takes that punishment and goes into the grave and is raised because of his righteousness to give that righteousness to others. In the same way, we who deserve death are, are buried with him. We deserve this, but we're raised with him because our lives are intertwined with him. And so we're raised to walk in newness of life. We've put on Christ. We've been united with him. And our, our union with him is like a branch connected to the vine. They, they are one, right? We, if, if, you, if you think about plants, right? You, don't, you look at a tree and all of its branches and you think of, of the tree and all of its branches as one giant unit, Right? You don't, you don't look and, and, and say, oh, there's a trunk and a bunch of branches and a bunch of leaves. You say, that's a tree. And it's only when you start like, lopping it apart that you start thinking of it as its parts, right? We are, we are part of the Lord Jesus because we've been united with him. We're connected to him. We are, we are one. And so having put on Christ and being united together with him, we are. We are one. As we abide in this union, as we rest and dwell and, and acknowledge that this is the reality, we have fellowship with Christ in a close and personal way. John fifteen four says, abide in me and I in you. That idea of connectedness. We don't just need... Jesus as the entranceway into God's kingdom, right? Many, many times Jesus is, or the, the cross is, is described as a doorway or a bridge, right? You know, the, the entranceway in to what? To, to God's will or righteousness. It's like, it's like we live in one country and we enter into another country, Right, because of Jesus as the, the intersection between the two. But he's not, he's not the entranceway alone. He's the entire country. 
right? It says, uh, as many of you have been baptized, have put on Christ. We're described as, as being in Adam or in the flesh or being spiritually dead. And then the other country that we enter into is called in Christ. That's the new reality, being connected to him. It's not like, well, I just need the benefit that Jesus gives, and then I can go and live my life. No, it's, it's we need to be connected to him, and we never lose our need to remain connected to him for the rest of eternity. It's a permanent connection. We've been, we've been removed from this place from being disconnected, and we've been grafted in and connected and remain connected forever. This connection is what enables us to bear fruit. We'll see this as it's, as it's explained throughout the, the New Testament. The branches receive from the vine the strength necessary to bear fruit in the same way the Christian receives from Christ the strength to do what he could not do on his own. John 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That means nothing of spiritual good or benefit. I think it was the donut man who had a song uh, and he would, he would sing this verse uh, and he would say, uh, how many things can you do? And the kids would say, they would shout out nothing. And he would say, a few things. Right. And then they would say, no, nothing. And then he'd say a bunch of things, you know, a lot of things. No, nothing. Right. We absolutely, utterly need the Lord Jesus. A lot of times when when there's a post on social media and uh, somebody says something like share your favorite Bible verse. Right. I will usually check it to see if it has one of those phrases in it. Like, I bet you won't share. If it says that, I don't share anything because I'm just my my second child. My rebellious nature just comes out. And I'm like, you are absolutely right. And a lot of times now as I've grown older, I'm like, you bet I won't share. You know, just like, come on. What do you got to do that for? Anyway, that's more about me. This is probably me leaning away from the vine and not being cooperative and displaying good Christian character, right? But, but the verse that I so often share that, that I think is just so important, that has so shaped my understanding of things, is Ephesians 6.10, where, where Paul says that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Right? That, that verse has nothing to do with being strong in and of ourselves. And so many times people, I, I used to read that verse. And it was like, be strong in the Lord. And it was like, I got to be like, right? <laughs> strong in the Lord. Everything. I just, I'm like, I believe it. You know, like even things that I, that I struggle with. And I'm like, hey, what's that? I'm like, I'm going to mentally punch the unbelief out of myself. You know, like, but that's not what the verse says at all. It says, be strong in the Lord. Which means be weak in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Which means when you're being strong, you're going to feel weak. 
because you're, you're dependent on and connected to someone else. Paul describes how this strength is, is seen in the lives of others. He talks about how it's displayed in his own life. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here he's just describing what, what Jesus says in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Connected to him, Paul says, I can do everything. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What is, it that we, what is it that we need? We need more joy. We need peace. We need patience. We need wisdom. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord and he gives it freely. Ephesians 1.3 says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means that God gives us all that we need. So often, our impulse is, is to say, I'll handle this on my own, and then I'll turn to the Lord if I have need. Right? If I can't handle it myself, I can handle 60% of what life throws at me. For, G, for the rest, I turn to Jesus. Now, the, the, the scriptures say... Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Paul, interestingly, says in Colossians 1.29, talking about God's will and God's way in his life, he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul gives examples of how this power or abiding transforms over time. He makes reference to, to the way it changes other people. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. He says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these folks will inherit the kingdom, he says. And then he says this in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were transformed by faith and trust in Jesus and his transformative power, he washed you and sanctified you and changed you. Paul doesn't just point the finger at the world, though. He doesn't just say, hey, you, you need to be changed, right? Or you were changed. He also talks about himself. Listen to the way he describes it. 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. There's this moment of repentance where he says, Lord, I'm wrong. What, have I, what am I doing? I didn't know. Forgive me. Change me. Transform me, right? And he says, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I love that, that image because I, I feel like uh, you, can't, you can't flood a, spirit, a physical seed with water 
and make it grow, right? You know, like you will just wash away all the soil and you'll just be left with an empty cup. But spiritually speaking, God floods us with grace and mercy and forgiveness without measure in order to help us grow. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me, he says. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as, in the, form, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. When, when, we, when we spiritually and mentally dwell in Christ, when we abide in him, we're, we're continuously reminding ourselves that, that what we have, the benefit that's, that's coming to us, the growth that we're experiencing is coming to us because we're connected to Christ. And so there's, there's a humbling of the self that takes place. Now, I don't think that we ought to hate ourselves and be like, I'm the absolute worst person who's ever lived and I can't ever do anything good. That's not what Paul is saying about himself. He's saying, Christ has produced good in me and therefore I can do good, right? We ought to have a low view of ourselves apart from Christ and a high view of ourselves when we're connected to him and yet remain humble. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think most Christians given the way that they live their Christian life, would probably rewrite that to say something like, I can do almost anything, but only if God gives me permission to do it and desires that I do it on this day of the week, right? You know, we'd like fill it full of conditions. Why? Because we just, we don't really feel like God is going to work through us with the confidence that, that Paul has here. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. I just want to, I want to look at another, another instance of Paul pointing the finger at himself and saying that I've been transformed and I've been changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Apart from Christ, right, I was a bad guy. I did a bunch of bad stuff. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what, is, what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, right? He's saying that, that there's been a transformation that's taken place and God is now working through me. You gotta love Paul's honesty, right? This is what he says in the second half of verse 10. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, right? Jesus called 12 apostles and then I was appointed the 13th. I worked harder than those guys, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. The, the secret of bearing fruit, of producing that which, which God longs to see in us or he created us for, the secret to bearing fruit is abiding in Christ and him abiding in us. As we experience union with him in his, in his death through belief in the gospel, and as we walk in fellowship with him, we benefit, we receive his strength so that we're able to bear fruit and experience the abundant life. So the question is, are we abiding in Christ and is he abiding in us? Now, there's some evidences of this in the scripture. 
So evidence is that, that we are abiding. I would say that the, that the number one evidence, I believe, is a growing sense and feeling of dependence on Christ. Right? Jesus says in verse 15, or sorry, John chapter 15, he says, abide in my love in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father was the source. He was, he was the, the root and the, the strength of Jesus' power. The Father has loved me. I have loved you in the same way. Abide in my love, he says. A growing sense of dependence on Christ. A growing, I believe, acknowledgement of our own weakness and need. Not, not a weakness and need that results in us running away from Jesus and feeling awful all the time. I think that's toxic. It's only half of the truth. Right? We, we feel a need for Jesus and a weakness in ourselves. And so, so in, a, in a time of need, as the book of Hebrews says, we draw near to him because he is our source. We say, yes, thank you for accepting me and loving me and blessing me. And we, we, we draw near to him. A sense of dependence and a sense that he will fulfill us. The true source of our strength is not ourselves. But the Lord Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's this acknowledgement that, that we're connected to one another and that he is the one who supplies and we are the one who receives and that this is what the arrangement is supposed to be. And, and we accept it and, and say, that is my strength. That's my source. I find it in him. At the end of, of the Lord's Supper. I didn't grow up hearing this. I, I heard a pastor teach it, and I said, wow, that really shapes my thinking, right? I always thought we, we eat bread and drink juice, and that's like a, a, a moment of recommitment to Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And I think, like, that's okay. You can, you can have that as a part of, of what it is that you believe, but that's not the biggest meaning of the Lord's Supper, Paul says at the end, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does that mean? It means, it means that when we eat bread and drink juice, we're saying we need something from the outside. We need the righteousness that comes from Christ. We need the enablement that comes from God, and we receive it into ourselves. And when we proclaim his death, we're saying that it comes from his, his perfect life, his righteous life, his, his, the death that he did not deserve, that he, he died for us, and his resurrection power, that he's our source and our strength. We focus away from ourselves, away from what we give, away from what we say, away from all the things that we've done. We throw aside all of our trophies and all of our accomplishments and say it comes from him. Right? And all this other stuff that, that we've done, that we've done for him, it's what he's done through us. Right? 
Dependence is a, is a, a huge evidence that we're, we're abiding. One obvious evidence of abiding is that we are bearing much fruit. That, that God is, is producing good in us and through us. That we are, we are uh, bearing the kinds of, 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 of fruit. We're displaying the kind of character listed in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that all nine? Did I get it right? I never get it right. She's not here. She doesn't feel well. So she's not here to tell me the one that I forgot. Because she counts them off for me. Anyway. Um, I'll play this back for her later. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit emerging from us, right? Um, we, we, we see it, you know, seeing God work in our lives. I'll tell you, there are times where I will preach a sermon and, and I will think that was an absolute mess. What am I doing with my life? You know, I need to like go drive a bread truck or like restock chips or something in the supermarket. And someone will come up to me and say, that was so moving. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, what particularly was helpful? Because I'm like, I'll just do more of that. And they'll say, God spoke to me and said that I need to. And I'm like, I'm not sure that I even thought of that or implied that. But the spirit is connecting with their spirit through the word and they're receiving conviction. And I'm like, did I do that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think God did that. You may, you may have these experiences where you encourage someone or pray for someone and you think this is such a little thing and it means the world to them. It has tremendous impact. That's God working through you, bearing fruit. Now, sometimes we have to ask the question, okay, if, if I'm in Christ, if I trust Christ, why is there no fruit? And I think there's two, there's two options Uh, one is that we are deceiving ourselves in some way. We're, we're embracing and holding on to some sin that we're unwilling to repent of. And a lot of times we know what it is. We're just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, which is something that we, we do. We're just we're holding on to it because we've we've not yet fully surrendered. And so what we're experiencing is is that the Lord is working on us, that he's he's shaping us. And until we let go of this thing, we won't we won't grow. The second possibility is that we have head knowledge. And maybe we are physically in the church, right, and saying, okay, you know, like, I believe this stuff, but we've not really experienced that spiritual connection to the Lord. We've not made it real. We've not really asked. This is, this, it's, it's, this happens where people spend their whole lives in church. They grow up in church and they never realize, like, oh, I actually need a savior. Like, I need to live this out. And so one of the possibilities why we don't bear much fruit is that there might not be actual union between ourselves and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just locally in the church. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not real. And we need to say, I need this to be real. The good news is the scriptures say that to whoever believed in him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. If we put our faith and trust in Christ and say, I need you, I need you to come in, we can have assurance that God will receive us and transform us. 
The second reason, and I already said it, why we lack fruit is sometimes we're undergoing the father's pruning, right? The, the father prunes the vine. He prunes off branches that, that aren't bearing fruit. He, he uh, shapes them and trims them and adjusts them so they will bear more fruit. Many times... As Christians, we experience things that are obstacles or hindrances to us need to be cut away. The Lord uses suffering to shape us and to transform us. Uh, suffering comes and, and, and can, can take away those things which create obstacles. Another way that God transforms us is through conviction uh, and his word. Right? The word in us is called the sword of the spirit. Um, we're, we're told that, um, that, that the word of God is an instrument. It's a surgical instrument designed to transform us. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the d- division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There are, there are times where when, when uh, the word is being preached or we're reading it, that, that instead of just doing application, right, we feel implication or conviction, right? The word, it's like you may have read this scripture a thousand times, but this time when it hits, it hits like a hammer, right? And you're like, whoa, that's the spirit of God bringing conviction and saying this, change this. As a, as a young man running from the Lord, I spent, I think it was the time from when I was 15 to when I was 21, just whenever I would turn my attention to spiritual things, it was like there he was pressing on me. You know? I need to acknowledge, like, you need to turn your life over. You need to learn to, to, to live like a Christian and trust that God's intention is, is good. Ephesians 6.17, I said, um, speaks about the sword of the spirit. And, and we're, we're told that we're transformed through the washing of the word. As we read or hear God's word, it can expose us for who we really are. And when we receive it as intended, it can help us make changes and transformations in our life. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, right? You wake up, if you're anything like me, right? You know, your hair is doing this. There are mornings where I wake up and I can walk around for 10 minutes and one of my eyes hasn't opened up, right? You know, and I'm like, what is going on here? You got to like splash some water on your face, you know? Get the soap out and, and get all the natural off your face so that you can go and, and live your life, right? You know, the one who, who, who hears the word and says, that was nice, and then goes and lives their life as if they never heard it is like someone who looks at their natural face in a mirror. They look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Okay, I hear and I act. He will be blessed in his doing. That's what James says. The word of God ought to convict. It ought to confirm. It ought to heal. It ought to affirm things about ourselves. And then we go and we, we live consistently 
according to, to what it says. We'll also see that our prayers will be answered. Jesus says in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. There are some conditions attached to this, of course. Uh, We need to be walking in the light. We need to be keeping his commandments and doing the things that please him. 1 John 3.22 says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Like, I ought not pray things that are inconsistent with God's character. You know, Lord, I pray that you crush my enemy under my feet. You know, Jesus says, forgive your enemies. So probably a more appropriate prayer would be, Lord, help me to forgive this person, not Lord, punish them. Right. You know, Uh, second, our requests need to be according to God's will. This is kind of saying the same thing. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Lord, do this for, for my joy and for your glory. Third, our requests need to not be for selfish gain. It, not needs to be, it needs to not be totally focused on me. I want a million dollars in a beach house, right? Why? Because I just want to enjoy it and never leave and never do anything ever again. God's not going to answer that prayer. James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. One of the good reasons to keep a list to make note, you can do this on your phone. It doesn't need to be in a fancy journal that has a Bible verse on the cover of it and a snap and a lock or anything like that. You know, but to keep a list of things that you've prayed for and going back and reviewing and looking, you'll see evidence that God answered your prayers. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Maybe in the moment you'll be like, man, I was disappointed with that no. But 10 years on, you'll be like, man, I'm thankful for that no because, man, this is where I would have been. We're able to see evidence of answered prayer. Uh, Love for Christ and his people is an evidence of fruit bearing. Since God is love and Christ is God, those who abide in Jesus will abide in love. uh, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John 15, 17, these things I command to you that you will love one another. It's evidence that we've passed from death to life and that we're growing in him, that we love the brothers. That's 1 John 3, 14. Finally, we'll experience inner joy. Uh, Joy is not uh, a, a happiness or a feeling of blessedness that's related to our circumstances. It's that despite our circumstances, we are filled with joy. We have an assurance that we're rooted in Christ and that, and that we are safe in him and that whatever circumstances we encounter, that, that the Lord will lead and guide us through them and we will be safe in him. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And so we're able, even despite difficulties and, 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 and bad things that happen, we're able to say, I can rejoice and celebrate because I have 
the Lord Jesus, and I know that he is working for my good. In the scriptures, one of the visible signs that we are falling backwards or that we are uh, abandoning abiding in Christ is a loss of joy. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. Psalm 51, 12. David prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold within me a willing spirit. Uh, I believe that the world wants us to experience joy. We see this pushed on us all the time. Joy that's satisfied in who we are in and of ourselves, right? I need to to love myself. I need to accept myself. That's only part of the truth. We need to accept and love ourselves as we are connected to Christ, not apart from him. When we drift from him, we'll begin to look at ourselves and say, I'm not good enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not. Well, it's true, right? Apart from him, we need to remain connected, but connected to him, he gives us goodness and righteousness and produces joy within us. So loss of joy is, is evidence that we need to root ourselves in him. So those are evidences that we're abiding in Christ, bearing fruit, the the evidence of of pruning, like a response to the word. Tremendous conviction responding to the word, by the way, is is evidence of not badness in us. It's evidence of goodness. If you hear God speaking through the word and you're like, I'm convicted by this, that's a good thing. Don't feel miserable. Make Make the changes that he's calling for. A growing sense of dependence, answered prayers, love for Christ and his people and inner joy. Not everyone who is abiding is going to experience these things in the same measure at the same time. Right? We're, we're, we're not like machines that you just load new software on and we transform. We're a lot like plants. That's the analogy. It takes time to grow. It takes time to to be changed and transformed by what God is doing in us. Notice how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1.8. He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The the key here is, is there a spark of it and is it growing somewhat? Am I being changed? It's good and helpful to examine ourselves regularly and see if we're abiding in Christ and then make the changes that are necessary if we need to. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? It begins by saying, am I united with him? And then we ask the question, am I abiding in him? Am I remaining in him? Am I trusting in him to supply all of my needs? The secret of the abundant life, the secret of living is bearing fruit. The secret of, of being fruitful in the Christian life is abiding in Christ. And so the two are connected. So as we close, you may ask the question, well, what's the secret of abiding in Christ? Is there some truth that unlocks it? Let's talk about that next week. Um, yeah, that's coming. Uh, there's a lot here. Can't just, can't just spill it all out. I mean, 
got to take time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And I, I pray that, that we would not be like impatient children who say, it all has to happen now. And if it doesn't happen now, then it's not true. There are, there are trees growing around here that are older than we are that have been resting and growing for an enormous amount of time. Lord, uh, we pray that you would help us to be patient, that you would help us to be consistent. We pray that you would help us to see yourself as the source and ourselves as connected to you and blessed by you. We pray that you would help us to rest and not to be anxious and filled with all kinds of concerns and tests, but instead to say, what does history show? What does my character show? And am I convicted by the word? Father, I pray that each of us would examine ourselves and say, have I trusted in the Lord Jesus as my savior, as the the source of my strength and salvation? And if we have, then to rest in him and to continue to trust and continue to press forward. And if we say, no, I have not, I pray that that we would put our faith and trust in you and then tell someone about it so that we can continue to grow. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We pray your blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.